Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Chris Torres. You could find me on Twitter at Torres Takes. I'll be your host for this episode. Please give the show a follow at Fantasy, the letter B, Beat, B-E-A-T on Twitter, where we'll be posting highlights from the show and telling you about upcoming episodes. We've got another phenomenal episode for you this week. And just so you know, my goal is to use every synonym for the word great when describing these episodes. But uh, yeah, I'm excited about this one. We have a guest returning to the show for his second appearance on The Beat. We have Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun to talk about this exciting Orioles team that has smashed expectations so far this season. I'll be flying solo for this segment because Mike, you know, he's got a real job and he has to work. Uh, But he will be joining me later for two other fantasy baseball focused segments. One where we're going to be looking at the worst trades that you, our listeners, have received in your leagues so far this year. So we're going to have some fun with that. And then very excited to have the one and only Mike Podhorzer, now longtime analyst at Fangraphs and a friend of mine. So very excited to have him on. I haven't heard him on any podcast in a while. So wanted to make sure to get him on here. So that's the agenda for this episode, but let's get right into it. I've got Nathan Ruiz here, again, of the Baltimore Sun. You can find him on Twitter at Nathan S. Ruiz. Nathan, thank you so much for coming back. How's everything going? Doing well, Chris. Thanks again for having me. So tell me, the Orioles are now good. They've got a record of 42 and 24. And listen, they haven't been good in a long time. So the first thing I got to ask you is, what is it like to now be cover be covering a winning team after so many years of rebuilding? Yeah, it's definitely kind of an adjustment. Obviously, you look at kind of the expectations coming into this season was that this was a team that was going to contend for a playoff spot. Obviously, kind of in the middle of last season, about a quarter way through the year, they call up Adley Rutschman and things kind of turn around. They end up being the best team in the American League to miss the postseason. And then expectations are a little higher this year. And, and even still, they've managed to exceed those. One of the best teams in baseball. Uh, playing really well in all facets, uh, went through a stretch against some really good teams and, and played well. And so uh, they're a team that obviously still has some weaknesses, and I know we're going to discuss those a little bit, I'm sure. But uh, it's a team that that's playing really well, has a lot of young talent, and, and really seeing that rebuild pay off for them. So you mentioned young talent, and I mean, they've got a lot of it. But uh, one of the catalysts to this, uh, to this season, and, and more so recently, has been Gunnar Henderson. So uh, and I mean, let me just give you a, for our listeners, just so they have an idea of of what he's done um, over the past month here. He's got six home runs, 14 runs scored, 17 RBIs with a 342 average, a 438 Woba, even throwing in three stolen bases after not really running much in the beginning of the year. So he's been incredible. The underlying skills uh, support what he's doing with a 58.5% hard hit percentage over the past 30 days, a 19% barrel percentage. So he's really just tapping into what we knew. I mean, this was an Uber prospect. We knew it was in there. Uh, but Nathan, from your perspective, is there anything that's different about him? Do you, has he made any adjustments that you're aware of or uh, anything that you could pinpoint as a reason for this recent uh, hot stretch? 
Yeah, I know that there were like some slight mechanical changes, but in talking to Gunner, talking to Orioles coaches, it sounds like it's mostly just a mental change. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of it is confidence-based. Obviously, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Uber prospect, top prospect in baseball, favorite for American League Rookie of the Year. Obviously came up last year at the end of last season and had some success, but then got off to a really slow start. It, it was being a little passive. He has such a good batter's eye that he was able to, you know, lay off some close pitches, take a lot of walks. He was walking a ton, even as he was maybe slumping earlier in the season. But within that, he was also letting some pitches you could do damage on get by. And so uh, now we're seeing him, I think, be a little more aggressive. When he gets a pitch he can hit, a pitch he can't handle, which there are a lot of them, he, he's doing that. And we've seen that of late. Uh, you know, I, you put out the numbers there for the past 30 days. And I think that's really emblematic of, of what he's been doing in that, you know, he won, he's the reigning AL player of the week, but it wasn't just the past week that he's really taken off and turned his game around. So made some slight adjustments, kept his shoulder in, uh, changed, changed a bit of his posture. But really, like I said, it's mostly a, a mental uh, adjustment and aggressiveness adjustment, approach adjustment, and, and you're really seeing it pay off for Gunner and the Orioles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to back that up, his uh, chase rate or his O swing percentage is, is down at 29.1%, which is very good. Um, in the zone, he's swinging 65% of the time. So um, I'd say about league average, but he's making good contact at 76%. So yeah, everything seems to be clicking. And obviously, when you got a guy like that, with his uh, prospect pedigree, you know, that's going to mean good things for the Orioles. Uh, but another top prospect on this team uh, who is also a, a budding superstar here, if not one already, is Adley Rutschman. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, we know that, we talked about this a few months ago, how the team really turned it around once he came up last season. So if you could just speak a little bit to just what he brings to the team in terms of leadership, just overall, what, what is what is Adley bringing to this team that's um, been so instrumental in their success? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at a catcher who's impactful on both sides of the ball. He, you know, has he's really prepared in terms of working with the pitchers, uh, calls a great game from everything that, that people say, obviously has the ability to throw some guys out. The numbers aren't really there in that regard this year, but that's largely on the Orioles pitching staff. Um, you know, a guy who just really is, is a calming presence and impactful presence behind the plate. And then you look, he's a guy who, you know, when he's in the lineup, which is more often than not, he's going to be hitting in that two hole for Brandon Hyde, uh, has a great ability to get on base. Uh, the power maybe hasn't quite been there, but, you know, starting to see, you know, had two doubles yesterday, obviously still, you know, getting on base a ton, putting up solid slugging numbers, um, switch hitter who's, who's having, you know, much more success this season as a right-handed hitter than he did last year. Uh, so yeah, he's just a guy who really does it all. Uh, you know, obviously you, you hope that's what you're getting when you pick a player first overall in the draft and, and from a major league draft perspective, not a fantasy draft perspective, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's been everything the Orioles hope you'd be in more in terms of like leadership. I don't know that, uh, he's not really necessarily the most vocal guy. Um, he does have quite the personality that he showcases from time to time, but I think, you know, the value he brings is more so in that behind the plate leadership, that ability to command a pitching staff to be prepared. Uh, you know, he really cares. I think when an Orioles pitcher struggles, he feels that personally. He takes some responsibility for it. And that's what you, I think, want out of your starting catcher, your franchise catcher. And so I, I think just in terms of what he provides on both sides of the ball, that's that's really what's allowed for this kind of transformation that we've seen in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's not like you said, he's. He's a great, great real life player from a fantasy perspective. He's really good, but um, you know, he's not like you mentioned. He's not going to have huge power. But look at the—he's got a sixteen percent walk rate and only a fourteen percent strikeout rate. Obviously, if you're walking more than you're striking out, 
um, you know, that that makes you an elite hitter. So uh, and I think I, I would think he's going to develop more into that power. He is a little bit. You mentioned Gunner being passive. Uh, it seems like he's been a little bit passive uh, at the plate with a 21 percent called strike percentage. But, um, you know, he he's making great contact, only a 5 percent swinging strike rate, which is really elite. So, I mean, listen, the Orioles are are lucky to have uh, a cornerstone like this to build around. But uh, Nathan, you, you mentioned the starting pitching hasn't been great. Um, so I'm wondering do do you see the Orioles going out and making a move here now that they are solidly in contention? Do you see them making a move at the deadline for a pitcher? I think that's you know the most apparent area of need. Um, they've they've gotten you know some improvement there of late. Uh, Kyle Gibson has been really solid for them. Spent ten million dollars to sign him this off season. I don't think anyone expected him at that time to be the opening day starter. Um, but he's pitched really well. I think if you look at kind of the level of investment versus what they've gotten, they did really well in that regard. Now, if you view him as being like a number one top of the rotation, starting game one of a playoff series type of starter, then that's a bit of a of a different viewpoint there. Uh, Dean Kramer has pitched really well, uh, basically since the, the turn of April. Uh, Kyle Bradish has had some ups and downs. Tyler Wells has really been an unexpected bright spot, leads the ma- major leagues in whip. Um, and he's a guy who was fighting with Grayson Rodriguez to be the fifth starter for most of spring and ends up winning that job and has really grasped onto it and, and pitched his way uh, technically up the rotation, so to speak. That fifth starter spot has kind of bounced around a little bit. We've seen Grayson Rodriguez in it. We've seen Cole Irvin in it. Uh, and I think, you know, it's it's ma- it's made it pretty obvious that this team has a need in that rotation for a, you know, upper half of the rotation type of starter. You know, you hoped maybe John Means would be that. Uh, he had, you know... Um, a muscle issue in his, his back that's going to cause him to come back from Tommy John surgery a little later than hoped. Uh, but yeah, I think when you look at his team's farm system, they have the ability really, if they wanted to go get someone, they probably could get them. It is a question of would they be willing to do that? Uh, we haven't really seen them take a big swing yet. Obviously, they haven't been in this position before. But I think just in terms of, of what they have available to them, the market that could be out there for starting pitching, uh, I think it's a pretty obvious area of need and, and one they should strike at. Mm-hmm. You mentioned John Means. He said he's going to be pushed back a little bit. When can we expect to see him? Yeah, the hope is August. You know, the, a lot of the talk early on was July, but now it's been kind of pushed back to August. He was warming up to to throw in an extended spring game and just felt a little tightness in his his you know scapula area. It's not related to Tommy John. It's not really a, a throwing injury, um, but there it's obviously just disappointing for him and for the Orioles who thought they were you know, finally starting to make some progress on him getting back. But yeah, it sounds like August rather than July is the timeline for means as of now. Gotcha. And what about Grayson? I mean, they had obviously many people had high hopes for him this season. It had been a struggle. No, he's back down in AAA. What do you see as the future for him this season? Yeah, I mean, I think he'll he'll make another start at least for the Orioles at some point. I think they obviously really believe in the arm, really believe in the talent, really believe in the person. Um, and that's true both organizationally and in the clubhouse. I just think you look at what you, you kind of break down. He had five good starts, five bad starts. And I think if you kind of dive into the numbers on them, it really comes down to his forcing fastball command. Uh, you know, in those five bad starts, opponents were hitting over 500, slugging over a thousand on his four seamer. And so I think just, you know, you look at him in the minors, he was able to just throw upper nineties heat by guys really wherever he was putting it. Um, and major league hitters are a lot different. And so he, he kind of had to learn uh, the hard way, so to speak of, of, you know, what major league hitters will do to a, a fastball that's not pinpointed. And so I think now in the minors back in AAA with Norfolk, he's that's a big focus for him. I think working in his other stuff more, he got good numbers on his secondary pitches. So I, I think, you know, obviously the talents there, uh, the abilities there, the, you know, maturity factor is definitely there with Grayson. It's just a matter of kind of 
putting that fastball command together. Um, you know, they want to get him right. You know, you look at this, like I mentioned with Tyler Wells, he beat out Grayson Rodriguez for the fifth starter spot. The Orioles did not believe he was ready out of spring, but you know, Kyle Bryce gets hurt in his first start and they believed Grayson was the next man up and they gave him a solid, you know, couple months in the major league rotation. And obviously it didn't go as he or they hoped, but they, they obviously still, like I've said, really believe in him and, and expect him to be back at some point this season. Okay. So I know you're not necessarily a fantasy guy, but I have Grayson Rodriguez sitting on my waiver wire um, in one of my fantasy leagues. Do you think that that would be a prudent pickup at this point? Like, do you see him coming back up, let's say, within the next, before the All-Star break? Do you think he'll be back up? I, I think that largely depends on what else is happening in the Orioles rotation. Obviously, an injury can happen anytime, but I think we're, they're pretty set in terms of, as of right now, you know, Gibson, Kramer, Bradish Wells, Cole Irvin's in the back in that fifth starter spot and pitched pretty well in his first start back up. So I think it largely depends on whether the opportunity presents itself. Uh, Grayson has pitched solidly back at AAA. He hasn't necessarily been dominant, but he has pitched pretty well. And so I think the possibility is there, but I think it largely depends on what's going on with those other five guys. Okay, makes sense. So I'm going to give you some other names here of, of players that the Orioles have um, some prospects that we can probably expect to see this season i mean man they've got so much young talent sitting down there so i'm just going to go through um each of them one by one and if you could just quickly give me a, a timeline on when you think we're going to see them so i'm going to start with jordan westberg when do you think we see him yeah i've i've been waiting for the answer to that question for a while now he spent more than a year in AAA, and and, and really has hit incredibly well it was the organizational player of the year last year i mean i think it could arguably be soon you know they just placed ryan mountcastle on the injured list, which opens up, you know, Jordan Westbrook is not a first baseman, but it does open up some machinations maybe on the infield does. Um, but it's just kind of a matter of whether the Orioles are willing to make that move. Um, so it's tough to say, I think, you know, they've had opportunities to this point to bring him up and have, you know, gone other directions. They brought up Josh Lester over him, brought up Ryan O'Hearn over and Ryan O'Hearn has played really well. So that's not necessarily proved to be a poor move, but, uh, yeah, they've had opportunities, I think, to this point to call up Jordan Westberg and just haven't pulled the trigger on it. So I think it's I, I don't really have an answer on that one because it's 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 strange almost to me that he hasn't maybe gotten an opportunity yet. Do you think that Jorge Mateo's playing time is at risk once Westberg comes up? I think that Jorge Mateo's playing time is what is keeping them maybe from bringing up a Jordan Westberg. Obviously, does a lot defensively, uh, does a ton on the bases, hasn't really hit much at all since uh you know since april ended so i I do think at a certain point they make a decision there they could decide you know the way that this offense is i don't think that they have the flexibility to kind of just ride out uh, a shortstop hitting 150 who plays strong defensively i think at a certain point they're going to need more oomph out of that position and uh, it's possible that jordan westberg or some combination of jordan westberg joey ortiz gunner henderson kind of provide that but yeah i think that you know those two are kind of inextricably linked for sure Mm mm-hmm what about DL, DL Hall? Yeah, he's a guy who uh, obviously the Orioles have a ton of belief in him as well. Uh, had a back injury uh, right before spring training started that affected his readiness for the season. It seems like just the velocity wasn't there. Has some of the best stuff in all of minor league baseball and just hasn't really shown it. Uh, so he's kind of going through a program right now that's um, meant to get him strengthened back up. He's not going deep in his starts with AAA Norfolk. They're just kind of letting him you know, get some work in once, maybe twice a week, and then uh, going from there with it in terms of getting him a, a, a workout weight room routine to help him rebuild strength, help him get that velocity back. 
And I think once that happens, it becomes much more realistic. So I think we're a ways away from seeing Dale Hall back in the majors um, until they get him right. But I also think it's kind of a welcome sign, maybe for his long-term value, both to the Orioles and in a fantasy baseball perspective, that the Orioles are treating him as a starter. They could kind of choose to alter the plan here and use him as a reliever and, and see if that maybe upticks the velocity just in shorter stints. But they still really believe in his potential as a starter and, and are utilizing him in that way. Man, I think he would be such an awesome addition like to that bullpen as is kind of like a two to three inning guy, you know, like almost that that Josh Hader type of role. Uh, when he first came up, I, I think he would he would be electric, especially for a team. You know, it's probably going to be in the postseason, but uh, it sounds like they're committed to him as a starter. Um, I'll give you one more. Uh, Colton Kowser. When when do you think we see him? Yeah, I think if he hadn't suffered kind of a left quadricep injury, we might have already seen him. Uh, just, you know, he was hurt when Cedric Mullins got hurt. So uh, they went out inside Aaron Hicks, and obviously that's worked out really well. Aaron Hicks has gotten on base in all 11 games with the Orioles. but And then Colton Kowser came back to AAA and, and really kind of picked up where he left off. Uh, and so that's welcome to see. I think they're just kind of letting him get his feet back under him, get settled back in. And obviously, as long as Aaron Hicks is doing what he's doing, there's not really a pressing need. But at a certain point, you know, I think that, uh, you know, they're going to determine that Colton Kowser is is the guy for them. Obviously, they picked him in the first round a couple of years ago for a reason. And uh, at some point, I'm sure that opportunity will present itself. He, he's putting up better numbers this year against left-handed pitching than he did last year, uh, though that's kind of a limited sample size result. Uh, but overall, the strikeout-to-walk ratio is a lot better than it was last season. That was definitely a concern a year ago. So I think you're seeing a really, a really well-rounded player. It's just a matter kind of like the same situation with Jordan Westberg. It's a matter of is there an opportunity for him in Baltimore? And I think once the Orioles determine that there is an everyday opportunity, they'll give it to him. All right. Well, listen, I mean, this team is going to be good for many years to come with with all the talent they have uh, on the way. So exciting to see what they are doing. Um, I know you got to get out of here, Nathan. Uh, I just want to thank you again so much for for stopping by uh, and give you an opportunity here to let our listeners know where they can find your work and where they could find you on social media. Yeah, you can find my work at baltimoresun.com slash sports slash Orioles. That's the most direct way to get to it. And then uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Nathan S. Ruiz, R-U-I-Z. And Chris, man, I really appreciate you having me on again. All right. Thanks so much. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be back with uh, my co-host, Mike Carter. Silence. Anticipation to see what... Oh, goodness! Welcome back to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. We just heard the TV call of Ellie De La Cruz's first major league home run, courtesy of John Sadis of the Reds Television Network. That ball had a family is just a great freaking call. So we had to include it in the show. Uh, I think we're going to do that moving forward in between segments. Uh, just kind of break things up and we'll include like the best calls of the week. Uh, you know, I think it's a good segue into our fantasy discussion and a discussion of the week that was. Um, but, uh, anyway, I want to bring in a very, very special guest. Um, I have with me Mike Podhorzer, uh, longtime fan graphs writer, uh, always putting out great content over there. The creator of the pod projection system, uh, someone whose work I respect tremendously. Um, and I'm happy to call him a friend of mine, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Well, Chris, I have to say. It's about time you invited me onto your podcast. 
you, you haven't even gotten to the most important detail, and that's okay. you've been a longtime member of my local league. And at all this time, you've you've just not invited me on, and uh, I've been, you know, waiting for this day, and, and finally uh-huh. the time has come. So I'm very it, excited. To finally it, it is a special, special day. I mean, you got to consider, man, we've only been doing this since November. So six months. I get it. I, I understand the shade, but uh, no, we're we're happy to have you on. Uh, actually, it's just going to be me. So the plan, I, I said this at the beginning of the show, that Mike Carter was going to be joining me. Unfortunately, he has a matter he's got to deal with. So it's it's going to be me and Mike Podhorzer, but I'm super to ha- happy to have you on here. Um, so let's get right into it, Mike. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the work that you've been putting out and, uh, specifically about an article you wrote regarding rookie hitter call-ups. Um, so you talked in this article specifically about Nolan Jones and he's kind of a hot name around the industry right now. And you mentioned within the industry, within the article that you are a big fan of him. So tell me, what are you seeing in Nolan Jones that makes you think he can be a fantasy asset moving forward? Uh, this is really simple. What I see is a Colorado Colorado Rockies uniform on him, which means half his games in Coors Field, mm-hmm. which, as we all remember, hope you didn't forget, Coors Field is a hitter's haven. It still is. It's a great place for batting average, especially great for home runs. And, and that's really a big reason why. Uh, so that's – Number one, he came from Cleveland. He was a longtime prospect, and the Guardians are backed in the Indian system. Uh, I believe he was traded to the Rockies over the offseason. He had one heck of uh, 200 plate appearances or so at AAA this year. Now, remember, this guy is a former top prospect. He was never really given much of an extended look at the major league level. In 2022, he debuted with the Guardians, only 94 plate appearances. And he wasn't great, but again, 94 plate appearances, kind of meaningless. Now he's on the Rockies. He tore it up in 187 plate appearances. Uh, Incredible walk rate, great plate discipline, uh, massive power backed up by a a high max exit velocity at AAA. So I was all over him when he was called up. The problem is the Rockies make a lot of questionable playing time decisions. And so really nice way to put it. Questionable playing. Questionable. Absolutely. (laughs) You never really know how much your favorite Rockies hitter is going to play unless they're a mediocre established veteran. Then, you know, he's going to play every day, but if he's a prospect, a rookie, you really never know. Uh, So I was a little hesitant about his playing time, especially being a lefty. Would he be in a strong side of a platoon? I don't know. Well, sure enough, he played against lefties last week. I missed a, a fantastic week because he was on my bench, even though he played at Coors Field all week. Uh, but now he's in my lineup, and hopefully the Rockies stick with him with all of their injuries. And I think at least, the very least, he should be a, a good contributor in home runs. If you're in an OBP league, uh, he gets a huge value boost just given his walk potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, listen, the one issue with him has been the strikeout rate, right? And I mean, so far this season, uh, he's got it down to 29% uh, or 29.7. So uh, about 30%. I mean, the BABIP is obviously unsustainable at 457. Um, 
the other thing that I see in his profile that concerns me a little bit, I'm with you over, uh, overall, though. I mean, I, I do think he's definitely worth a pickup. Um, I was a little upset that you picked him up in our league. Um, I didn't even realize he was out there. But uh, it seems like he's very passive at the plate. Now, this is something I've been looking at a little bit more frequently, and I want to get your thoughts on it, Mike. Um, I'm trying to look at players that are maybe just too passive. Like maybe they have a good O-swing percentage and it looks like they've got good plate discipline, uh, but they're maybe not making the best swing decisions. And when I see Nolan Jones with a called strike rate of 23%, that is really high. So want to ask you about that regard in regards to him and in general, what you think of looking at something like that when evaluating a hitter? You know, uh, I, I don't know if you're inside of my mind or you're just my toughest competitor for a reason. <laughs> but this is exactly what I was going to bring up when you, you were concerned about a strikeout rate. And I was going to say, well, yeah, his strikeout rate is high, but his swinging strike rate is actually pretty darn good, right. which suggests a lower strikeout rate. And the answer is that, yes, he's been very passive. And, and this is actually a thing. There are players off the top of my head, historically, Aaron Hicks, Robbie Grossman, I'm sure there are others if I looked up the stats, who they have a higher strikeout rate, not because they swing and miss often, but because they're very passive and they don't actually swing enough and they take a lot of called strikes. Right now, it looks like Nolan Jones might be one of those types. Now, the reason why that doesn't worry me as much is because I would be more concerned if he had an issue making contact. I think it's easier to improve your selectivity and become more aggressive inside the strike zone as opposed to making more contact. I don't think you could just wake up one day and make more contact, but I do think you can change your approach and become more aggressive and swing more at pitches inside the zone, which would have the effect of reducing his walk rate, which is okay, but also reducing his strikeout rate, which means more balls in play, higher batting average, and more home runs. So I, I think that's something that we could see. Maybe we don't see I don't think it's really an issue, but it's something to think about. The shape of his performance could change in the future. Right. Now, I love the way you, you, you put that, how it's it would be harder for him to just magically start making more contact if that was an issue. Whereas with a change in approach, if he just becomes more aggressive in the zone, that that seems a little bit more feasible. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, like a, a guy like Dan Vogelback is another one that comes to mind. Just like someone who just they, they got to they're there to, you know, um, to hit the ball, to drive in runs. So sitting there and, and looking at strikes, even though your walk rate may look good, um, it, definitely from a fantasy perspective, if you're in a non-OBP league, that, that's not helping us. Um, and, it, and it's funny because back when Joey Votto went his, in his prime, uh, I think he got some unwarranted criticism for taking so many walks and having a high walk rate. That was unwarranted because he didn't strike out a lot. He wasn't striking out 30% of the time while walking 15% of the time. He also wasn't striking out often. He was just a freaking good hitter, and that criticism was completely unwarranted. He just didn't swing at balls. The strikes he swung at, he didn't swing at the balls, which is not the same issue we're talking about with Nolan Jones. Absolutely. Yep, that's a good distinction to make. All right, so I mentioned that you picked up Nolan Jones. You've got him in the league that we play in together. Um, you know, Mike, I, I want to bring this up with you. And, and part of the reason I brought you on is because I wanted to put some pressure on you, put some pressure on you to make a trade with me. I mean, we've been in this league together for what, eight, probably eight years. 
Um, and you know, I'm one of the more active managers in the league. I think I've made a trade with everybody except you. So <laughs> there's a reason for that. <laughs> there is a reason. There, what's the reason? I'll let the cat out of the bag. And this is the honest truth. A lot of times early in the season, uh, I notice a slow starter, a, a you know, a, a pitcher that might be underperforming his uh, ERA estimators, uh, a hitter underperforming his ex-WOBA or whatever. And so I'll, I'll target that player for potential buy low trade. I'll, I'll go into our league search box to see who has that player. If I see it's you, I'm like, crap. Well, so much for that. Cross him off the list as a potential acquisition because I'm not even going to bother making an offer. And so I just go to the next guy. Seriously, I when I find out that it's you who has a player or you have a category I need and you're weak in another category that I have or, or whatever, no matter what, if you have a player I want or you seem like a good trade partner, the fact that it's you, I don't even bother making an offer because I can't imagine that it would benefit me enough mm-hmm. to make it worth it. I don't want to improve your team. Right, and right. so there's no point in making a trade with you. Okay. All right. I mean, listen, I think it's part of the same thing going on on my end towards you. Um, <laughs> I got to feel like we're at this impasse, you know, and, and I think it's time for us to correct that. So um, I pulled up your team and I really need, I, I need a pitcher. So in, in the league that we, it's a 12 team redraft league, six bench spots. Um, I've lost Brandon Woodruff. Nestor Cortez and Drew Rasmussen. My pitching, I'm just I'm streaming and and so far it's working okay, but I know over the long run I'm gonna get burned. So I, I need a starting pitcher. So I see you got Kershaw. I'm a little worried about the health long term, but I mean right now he's pitching like a top five pitcher. Anybody on my team that that you think we could work out a trade for? And I, I again I want to put the pressure on you in front of our hundreds of thousands of listeners. You know, so you go and make a bad deal here. <laughs> you know, it, it's really funny because to let everybody know, my team sucks this year. And it's it's really, really hard because I look at my team. I'm like, I like this team. This is a good team. These are good players. I think I have a, a plethora of starting pitchers. Let me upgrade my offense. But my pitching isn't good. It's actually worse than my offense. Even though I look at the names, I'm like, this is a good pitching staff. I think I can get rid of pitchers and upgrade my offense. And yet the pitching just continues to stink up the joint. It's so bizarre. Uh, And the same thing on the offensive side. Could I use upgrades? Of course. Like Nate Lowe, obviously there's a lot of room to improve on a Nate Lowe, but Nate Lowe is ranked 75th overall in fantasy this year somehow. Yeah. So. Bro, you got Tim Anderson, man. What are you doing with Tim Anderson right now? Yeah. Tim Anderson is a guy. If you look at his projected rank on the CBS site, it's 76. His actual 417. This is why I'm in 10th place, because I have so many of these guys who just either have started off slow or have just been met or are on the injured list as my injured list just keeps on filling up. And so it's it's so hard to make a trade because I'm just waiting for these slow starters to heat up and they're just not. Uh, you know, I, I made a couple of trades already that I thought were really good. Uh one was Xander Bogarts for Juan Soto. Juan Soto has been fine for me, not great. Uh, and then there was another trade that has been meh so far. 
Um, but Kershaw is a guy I actually offered uh, a couple of weeks ago for an offensive upgrade, and it was declined. I was really surprised. It, I think it was actually Kershaw and the hitter for like Otani or Betts, which I think is perfectly reasonable. It wasn't a, a crazy offer. It was declined. No response. Why? No explanation. So I'm like, well, where do I go from there? I can't. I'm not offering anymore. Right, so it's right. been tough. So so let me ask you. Okay, so you bring up Kershaw. You said you've already you're you're trying to upgrade your offense. So I'm just going to throw something out there. I'm not saying I definitely uh, am going to do it, but is Ellie De La Cruz and maybe something else? Is that enough to get a Kershaw? No. I, first of all, I don't even know what position De La Cruz. Uh, qualifies for, uh, I, I would have to manually move him, which you haven't asked me to do. So I guess he's been on your bench. Um, oh my gosh. Can I ask you to do that? Cause he has been, <laughs> I totally I mean, forgot. I yeah. Our CBS has got some wacky stuff going on. So yeah, right now he's technically only util. Right. Uh, because I, I, he came up from the minors, he should be eligible as shortstop because that's what he was playing. It, it's shortstop or third. Um, I'm not positive. It could be shortstop and third. I, I don't know. Um, I, I started out the season with like a billion shortstops, and I still have all of them, but they all stink. <laughs> so, I got to ask you, Mike. I have to – this, I need a straight answer. What the hell – what is your obsession – with Adalberto Mondesi, uh, I knew that was every coming. I knew that year, was and you still got him on the. I, I know we have unlimited IL, so whatever. But like, still, like you, you have him every year. Why? So at least my excuse here is that I, I didn't buy him. I, I rostered him in the reserve league, but in Tower Wars, I paid ten dollars for him, thinking even a half a season could produce ten dollars of value. And now, once again, he lets me down. At some point, I'm going to swear him off, and then he's going to go. 2060. I know that's going to happen, and I don't want that to happen. So I make sure that he's on my team every year. So the one time it actually happens, at least I'll benefit from it. You're a sick man. I, I don't know. I am a doing. sick man. <laughs> um, so from your team, let, let's get serious talking. Okay. Uh, Izzy Albies could help me. Uh, Matt Olson's definitely somebody that works on my team. I feel like I want power. Uh, Salvador Perez. I'm sure just knowing my luck, he'll probably be out for the next two months with a broken uh, yeah, it's all he left uh, the game today. Yep. hand or something. So I don't know what I'm going to do there, a catcher. Um, you don't have any extra catchers. Uh, Olsen, Albies, I think would be a good start. Oh, shocker. Those are your two best players. Uh, J.D. <laughs> Martinez, damn, you, you got him on a rebound. I don't know how long that lasts for, so I probably don't want to overpay there. That's about it. If I trade a pitcher, it's either Albies or Olsen. I don't think I really care about anybody else on your team offensively. That's harsh. Holy crap. All right. I mean, Wait, so you're, you're, not a, you're not a believer in JD. You think that this, he, he cools off. Here? I, I could be, I, I would really need to look into the, the stats there. I would be afraid that, uh, you know, his old age catches up, but I, I'd, I'd have to deep dive. Whereas Albies and all of a sudden I, I know what they're capable of. I know what they're going to do. Those are, those are easy. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't understand it, and and we'll we'll move on in a sec here. But you know, in our league specifically, and I I feel like this is kind of an industry wide thing. Util only players are always undervalued, in my opinion. And if you notice, this is one of my tricks every year in our in our auction draft. I always go for the it, for years it was David Ortiz. I would get 
Um, and he was always like $9, you know, because nobody wanted to fill their util spot. And this year I went in, I said, I'm going to get JD Martinez because I know he's going to be cheap. And I think he went for like eight bucks. And I, I, I think honestly, that is something. And, and I see this in regular drafts too. Like JD Martinez was going past pick 200. And I put out a video on Twitter about this. I thought that was insane because you know, he, even though the power didn't look great last year, you looked at everything else. You looked at the underlying uh, stats like barrels. Everything was fine. He was moving to LA. You knew he was playing every day in the middle of the Dodgers lineup. That was all I needed to know. And uh, I honestly, I think he's going to continue what he's doing. Uh, maybe not at this level, but um, I, I think he's going to be really, really solid moving forward. Uh, so that's just one comment quickly. What do you think about the util only thing? That Yeah. So, that's a really great discussion topic. I feel like, although I'd have to check the rosters last year, I feel like I had Otani last year. Although, no, probably not, because in our league, Otani is one player, pitcher or hitter. And I don't feel like I had that option. So I don't think I had Otani, but I, I know I've had a util only guy in the last couple of years. And uh, I know Otani was undervalued this year again. And the, the thing is, I know Otani came out early and killing that flexibility with no utility spots yet left, it, it really does hurt during the auction and especially during the year. There have been numerous times when I've had a utility guy, whether it was in this league or another league, where I'm like, damn it, I can't move him. And it it it's hard to put a dollar value on the discount required, but it is it is a real thing that they probably do deserve a couple of dollar discounts mm -hmm. because it, it really hurts your flexibility in the auction. If they come out early and, and during the season. So I do think, I do think it's different in an auction, right? Um, so if it, like you said, if they come out early, you, you really want to leave that open, but I think it happens even in just a, a regular snake draft. Like these guys get pushed down. People are scared of, uh, of losing that flexibility there as well. And I think that's even less warranted in that format. So, yeah, uh, uh, I, but, I think it was yeah. Otani in our auction this year. He came out early and I was annoyed because I'm like, yeah, I, I want Otani. And I was rooting for the bid to go higher and higher. So I wasn't upset that he was coming at a discount and I couldn't pull the trigger going the, the dollar higher, even though he was undervalued because I, I just couldn't fill out my util slot, you know, in the first 20 minutes of the auction. I, I just couldn't do it. Right, right. Okay, so moving on, I want to ask you about another uh, player that you wrote up recently. Uh, it was Corbin Carroll. And you said that you were annoyed that you missed on him this year. Uh, and I'm surprised because another thing I know about Mike, Mike loves his speed players. Uh, so I'm surprised you weren't more in on him. And you said in the article that you would have been more bullish on him if you had done your own projections this year. Now, you've you've done the pod projections for years. You didn't do it this year. Um, so you feel like you missed on Corbin Carroll. What would your projections have picked up on that maybe the other projection systems missed? Well, looking back at the preseason projections, I don't know why, but all of them had his power well below what I would have expected to project myself. For example, mm -hmm. the highest home run projection for him was only 19 home runs all season long, which is pretty, pretty crazy to think about now considering he already has 14 in less than half the plate appearances that the preseason projections had him for. 
he also already has just about the same number of steals as he was projected for all season by the preseason projections. That made no sense to me. I didn't understand why the projections were so light on him, given, you know, we knew he had, what was he? He was number one, I think, in sprint speed last year. He's super fast. Scouting-wise, he's got 80 slash 80 scouting grades on fan graphs. Those two numbers are current speed, future speed. Usually players lose speed as they age. I guess Corbin Carroll is not expected to ever lose speed. But the point is, this is a guy where you forget the projections. You got major power, major speed. It doesn't even matter what he did during his small sample 2022 debut. He was a top prospect with all of these tools. I want him on my team. I don't think he went for that much, although I can't remember exactly. And so the projections were light. It it seems pretty obvious in hindsight. I I don't know what I would have actually projected him for, but I know I would have been more into his underlying metrics if I did that research on my own. So that I want to dig into that a little bit more. So like when you're doing your projections, at first, let me ask you, are you planning to do them again at some point? The amount of time and stress I saved by not doing them. <laughs> but you missed on Corbin Carroll. Oh, I, I missed. I, if you see where I'm ranked in all of my leagues, you'd be like, yeah, maybe you should start projecting players again. It's kind of like I work from home. I've been working from home since the pandemic. It's been over three years. I can't go back to the office. It's the same thing. Now that I know what it feels like to stop doing projections, it's going to be really hard to get back on doing projections. You have no idea how much time it takes. It takes about seven, eight minutes per player. I project 600 and change players. That's no, it sounds like torture. 4,000 minutes. That's over two months of projecting players an hour a day. That's crazy. Now, you guys, you, Cardi, all these, you, you guys have been doing the Lord. Cardi presses a button. He does not do manual <laughs> okay. projections. He's uh, got all of the code. He projects, he pre- presses the run button. He's and cheating, huh? Projections. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so, but I want to ask you, like, would you, when you were doing your projections, would you actually go in? Um, manually, like I, I guess that's what you're saying. Like you would go in and you would adjust based on like your own deep dive into a player. Yep, every okay. projection is manual. Uh, I'm projecting all of the rates, and then it spits out like a, a counting stat line. I'm projecting the walk rate, the strikeout rate, the batted ball distribution, as in ground ball, fly ball rate, the BABIP, the home run per fly ball. Um, the run scored per times on base, the RBIs per like uh, extra base hit or whatever my formula was. And then it spits out the whole line with the, uh, the batting average, the on base, the slugging, the Woba. And, and that's why I, it took so much time. And then I had all of my, um, my X metrics, which was like an X home run per fly ball, X BABIP um, just to uh, get a better idea of, more of their deserved BABIP because we know there's a lot of luck involved in BABIP. There's some luck involved in home run per fly ball. And so I use those metrics to to guide my projections as well. So a lot of research. I really, really get to know these stat profiles. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Mike, you mentioned that uh, where you're at in your leagues, like <laughs> if we saw you, you would say you should do projections again. But uh, I want to ask you, like if 
if this season isn't going well for you, like what is it that you're looking at besides not having your projections uh, that you think you need to do differently? What are the lessons learned from this season? I don't think it's necessarily a lesson learned for me, but I have a lesson that other people may have learned because I can guarantee that this particular player was dropped in a lot of leagues. And that is do not give up on a player, especially a rookie, too early without giving them a chance for their skills to actually turn into results. And I'm talking about Gunnar Henderson. Mm. He's a really good example because this is a guy, uh, early in the season I did a reviewing the rookie hitters. He was pretty weak uh, from a fantasy perspective. He was batting 175 through the middle of May. He had like, I don't know, four or five home runs or so. He wasn't doing much. I'm sure a lot of impatient owners dropped him. Of course, he then has gone nuts when the calendar turned to June. He's batting 483 this month, already five home runs and just 29 at-bats, two steals, 11 RBIs, and uh, seven runs scored. So all of a sudden, his full season line is like, oh, wait, this is kind of what his line was projected for at this point in the season. Well, yeah, because any player isn't going to, every specific week, be at the exact point they are supposed to be at to pace for their full season projection. That's just not how players work. They go through hot streaks and cold streaks, and eventually by the end of the season, you expect them to be around their projection, especially rookies. Rookies are, are going to go through uh, peaks and valleys probably even more so than veterans as they adjust to major league pitching, as pitchers adjust to them. And so he's a really good example of not giving up a player so early in the season. So was he someone that you dropped in a league? No, absolutely not. Okay. And, and then that's part of my... I mean, it's part of the issue is that I'm excruciatingly patient. I'm sure Ahmed Rosario has been dropped in many leagues. I still happily trot him out there. Um, And I'm not going to know until the end of the season whether that was the right decision or not because there are players that do rebound and hit their projections and those players that just stink up the rest of the season and disappoint. And that could be Ahmed Rosario, but I don't really know. And two and a half months is still not enough for me to decide that that's going to be a bust for the entire year for me to make that decision when it's somebody that I I thought was going to be a valuable player this year. Yeah. No, I think that's really good advice. And I I was even reminded of that recently in my main event, I've got Trey Turner and uh, you know, listen, obviously you're not, you're not dropping him, um, you know, but it was, it's been rough for those first couple months. Um, But just, you see here in two weeks, I mean, his season line looks so much better than it did, um, you know, before the beginning of June. So, yeah, these players can really like they can get back to their level pretty quickly uh, with with just one hot streak. And I think we lose sight of that. I know I do. I get impatient in the beginning of the season. So, uh, you know, we 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 say it all the time, but it's hard to actually um really believe it that it's a long long season it's still like we're still early we're still only like a little more than a third of the way through so uh plenty of times for players to to reach their level or to reach what we think is um, uh, a reasonable projection for them 
So, um, Mike, I want to next segment. I want to look at a few players, uh, kind of like what Patrick David does on on his uh, podcast. Just looking at some players that uh, you're looking at for improved performance. His uh, his boons, as he terms them. Uh, so, tell me one pitcher and one hitter that you're looking at uh, that you're going that you're expecting improved results from moving forward. Yeah, so I want to start with the hitter. And as I said, for whatever reason, my teams just aren't good this year. So I'm in our local league together, and then I'm in the the labor, which is the League of Alternative Baseball Reality, one of the industry leagues, uh, the Mixed Draft League, and then also Tout Wars uh, American League, which is an auction that auctions in person. So labor league my team is you know toward the bottom don't know what rank if it's not top three i don't really care it's it's not good so i don't like looking at the standings but i'm looking over my roster and again i look at my offense i'm like this is a pretty darn good offense why aren't they good one of the reasons is because of my first round pick who has been perfectly solid but he wasn't supposed to be perfectly solid he was supposed to be damn really really good and, and thinking about the other player that I could have taken, it, it's like night and day. I clearly made a mistake. That's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., perfectly fine, 283, nine home runs, 41 RBIs, 31 runs. But perfectly solid is just not good enough to be taken 10th overall. Yeah. Here's the rub, though. Earlier, I looked at the hitters with the biggest differentials between their WOBA or weighted on base average, which is a a, a quick way to kind of total their offensive production, kind of like OPS, but a better number. I compared WOBA to their expected WOBA, which is a stat cast calculation based on their batted balls. And lo and behold, Vladimir Guerrero was in like the top seven of biggest differences, biggest underperformers. That's a shock. You wouldn't expect Vladimir Guerrero to be such an underperformer. So far in his short career, he's basically almost matched his ex-WOBA in his entire career. This year, his ex-WOBA is the second highest of his career. He's doing awesome. He's just not getting the results. And so that gives me hope that he's going to rebound and, and turn things around. And I shouldn't say rebound, turn things around. He's been good but really have a monstrous rest of the season. And so that means that if you're looking for a big hitter, maybe you can get him at a discount at a non-Vladimir Guerrero inflated price because he could be primed for a huge, huge second half. Chris, Chris, your thoughts? I, You know, the whole thing about him at home, he hasn't hit a home run at home. Is That's like, that's just so that's bizarre crazy. to me. I had no idea. Yeah, yep. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I've been a believer, you know, that that first breakout year, I was all over Vlad. Um, you know, I, I think we could definitely see him. I'm, I'm just looking up his stat line here. I mean, everything is pretty much in line where uh, with where it usually is. I think, you know, just a, a couple more balls over the fence. I mean, his average EV is 94.2. Yeah, I'm not concerned at all. I think you're right. I think we do see. Uh, a really strong second half from Vlad. What about the pitcher? Who who are you looking at uh, as a yeah. pitcher moving forward? So I, I had a number of pitchers that I could have talked about. I could have hyped up my man Reed Detmers, who is really making me cry. Um, but I went with a guy that I don't own in any leagues. I might try for a buy low situation after this, though. And that's Pablo Lopez. 
Lopez caught my eye initially early in the season because his velocity on his fastball spiked. Is that a career high? Uh, I looked at his game logs. He's sustained it all year. This wasn't an early season blip, and it, you know it's come down since. He's been around 95 with the high 94s all season long, whereas his previous high for a season was only 94.1. This is a significant jump. I love velocity increasers because all else being equal, higher velocity should equal more strikeouts. And sure enough, it has for Pablo Lopez. His strikeout rate has spiked to almost 30%, getting way more swinging strikes than ever before. His CSW percentage, which is called strike plus swinging strike percentage, is near 30%, which is close to elite. He's doing everything right. Uh, but his ERA is almost a full run higher than both of my favorite ERA estimators, Sierra, which is found on Fangraphs, and XERA, which is on Fangraphs and StatCast. It's a StatCast calculation. Both of those are in the 330 to 340 range, whereas his ERA is 427, almost a full run higher. This is a guy, he doesn't have a big name with big perceived value. It's not like a, a Shane Bieber who everybody's like, all right, obviously he's going to rebound. Uh, this is Pablo Lopez. It's it's not like people see his name and, and, and value him highly. So if they see a 427 ERA, they might be willing to give him up and, and trade him to you for something in, in, that doesn't cost that much. Okay, so I got to find out who has Pablo Lopez in our league and make sure that, I don't know. Uh, you know, give, give him a heads up that you're going to be sending some offers their way. Um, but, uh, yeah, with you on that one as well, uh, definitely he deserves a, a better outcome than he's had so far with, uh, the surface stats, uh, two players that I'm looking at, uh, and, and one guy I'm going to assume that you like, because like I said, you always like the stolen base guys. And I'm going with Leody Tavares. Um, I, I posted something on Twitter the other day about, you know, all of the skills for him have looked much much improved this season i'm just pulling up and i know this is a small sample but over the last 14 days he is one of the the leaders in hard hit percentage on fangrass which i found really interesting because you don't really think of leody Tavares and you know uh high quality of contact but that's what he's been doing and i'm also seeing from him really improve we talked about swing decisions and i'm seeing a really big improvement there as well his o swing 29.5 percent which is uh, above average he's swinging in the zone at a 68.9 percent clip which i think is good it, it's showing that he's not being too passive only 7.7 percent swinging strike rate 12.1 percent barrel rate so listen all of these are i'm not saying that this is necessarily like the big breakout for him but these are all really good indicators and it's really, he's been showing this since the beginning of the year. So uh, a guy who's not a zero in power who can steal bases. I wish the Rangers would hit him higher in the lineup. They still have him batting ninth, which is really, really annoying. Um, but I guess they figure he's having success there. Uh, they'll just keep him there. But uh, Mike, what do you think about Leody Tavares? Is he someone that you would be buying? <laughs> you know, I, I have to laugh because I don't know about you, but when I playing fantasy, you basically focus on your own players that you own. If you don't own the player and there hasn't been a lot of news about him, you don't really know what they're doing. I had no idea that Tavares has recorded 200 plate appearances this year. I, I just assumed that, you know, he was in the minors. He was recalled recently. He's up to maybe 40 at bats right now or something. 
He's been playing all year. I had no idea. No clue. Yeah, but, he but plays I every day. Well. They bat him ninth, which you know again yeah. is, is frustrating. But, you... but in that lineup, that that Rangers lineup is so good that it it almost like it's not that bad, right? Just it, being a part of that lineup is good enough. It, it's kind of absurd that he has a three fifty nine woba and he's batting ninth. Yeah, I don't know if I applaud the manager because he's not just moving guys based on current performance, but more on future projection or if he's keeping him ninth because he has that all old uh, feeling. Oh, well he's hit well ninth. So if I move him to another lineup slot, he might not hit as well. He might not be as comfortable, which I think is ridiculous, but right. Right. Uh, I'm sure it's the latter. Yeah. (laughs) These managers, like they're not the most advanced people. Let's be honest. Yeah, seriously. It's funny. He actually has homered today. So that, um, that hard percentage is, is translating into, to home runs. You know, it's interesting because he has a really good max EV over 110 miles an hour. I'm guessing that's on ground balls because he, he's not, he's still not really much of a, a home run hitter, despite that strong max EV. So it, it must be on ground balls, but yeah, I mean everything looks good. I would I would have hoped that he'd steal more bases, especially with stolen bases up so much. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll maintain a three fifty seven BABIP, but yeah, he's a a, a bit of power, uh, some speed. He looks like a, a decent all around contributor. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Someone who's not going to kill your average, who's going to give you that power speed combo in a good lineup. Um, I and I think I don't know what his roster ship percentage is, but I'd be willing to bet he's pretty available in 12 teamers. Um, so definitely someone that that I would recommend, uh, that I am recommending. Uh, and last one last player that I want to get your opinion on is Michael Kopech. Now, I'll be honest, I was I had no interest in Kopech going into the year, he started out really poorly, and I thought, you know that I was on the right track with my preseason prediction that, you know, he was just going to be a complete bust at ADP. Uh, But the light bulb went on for him. And I don't know what it was. I was hoping to get Mike on here, Mike Carter, because he's a huge White Sox fan and he's in tune with all that. So I don't know if there is a change in approach or what it was. But if I I pulled up the last 30 days uh, Sierra leaderboard, Michael Kopech is number one with a 2.38 Sierra over the past 30 days, a 37.6% K percentage, only 4.3% walk. He's fortunate with a 213 BABIP, but I mean, everything is looking, you know, legit. 32.9% CSW, Z contact is elite at 78%, Stuff Plus is at, at 110, uh, which I'll ask you about in a second. But just overall, Mike, what do you think about Michael Kopech? Yeah, I, I was with you. Uh, I was not onto him heading into the season. Uh, last year, I thought he was super lucky to finish with a mid-three ERA, uh, well below his ERA estimators. Uh, still has control problems, so I, you know I, I was not touching him. And, and then, of course, early in the season, he was awful. And so I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is what happens uh, with regression. And it, it's weird because looking at his pitch mix, it, it's not – Super clear that there were any changes. Um, it looks like he dropped his curveball over the last three starts. He, he hadn't really thrown his curveball a lot, but he's completely dropped it. And it looked like he has thrown his slider a bit more than normal, over 30% his last two starts. It's odd because he's basically a two-pitch pitcher, and even more so if he dropped his curveball. 
He barely throws his changeup, so he's really fastball slider. He hasn't gained any velocity on his fastball. It's been the same all season long. I can't imagine dropping the curveball is the explanation here, but this is basically what happens sometimes with pitchers is you have a high velocity guy with clearly good stuff. And suddenly the light bulb just goes on. It it just happens. And that's why I'm always going to bet on high fastball, high strikeout guys, uh, especially with control issues because control issues could improve overnight. And it's really hard to predict. So can he keep this up? It's so hard to say. I mean, this is kind of like a Dylan Cease situation. Mm-hmm. He also had the light bulb go on. He, he was awful his rookie year. And then all of a sudden, he was the, the top guy that his, his former prospect status had suggested he would eventually be. There was no real way to predict that was going to happen. It was kind of a close your eyes and cross your fingers and hope kind of a situation based on the fact that he was so hyped to begin with. Yeah, you're totally right. Just betting on the stuff, betting on, you know, even if someone has control issues, um, you know, as long as the strikeouts are there, you can never really count count a player like that out. It makes me it almost goes back to the discussion that we, we had earlier regarding like it's easier to become more aggressive than it is to all of a sudden start making more contact. And I feel like with this, with pitching, it's much easier to get control, get uh, improve your control than it is to just magically start striking guys out. So mm-hmm. that's something that I'm always targeting is just high strikeout guys, even if, uh, you know, the command isn't there, especially for a, a young pitcher. Uh, with Kopech, I, I saw more that I just didn't like. But again, just proving these uh, these high pedigree, high stuff guys, you, you can't ever just write them off completely. I want to ask you quickly about Stuff Plus. That's kind of all the rage in the fantasy community now in terms of pitcher evaluation. Is that something that that you're using at all at this point? No. So, you know, I read the articles. Um, I, I checked the leaderboards. You have Pitching Bot. You have Stuff Plus. I want to give it more time to show its predictability. Um, and so I, to me right now, it's just kind of for fun. Out of curiosity, where do my pitchers rate? Um, out of curiosity, I remember earlier in the season, I looked up Graham Ashcraft because I couldn't understand. He supposedly has such good stuff and yet he doesn't strike anybody out. So is his stuff good if he's not striking anybody out? So it, it's interesting to look at how his and other pitchers' stuff grades out using these mathematical models. Um, I'm not entirely sure how those grades are being applied and whether they look at results or at all, or is it just a velocity and a, um, and a movement type thing? Uh, but I haven't really used it at, aside from just for fun, gotcha. checking a picture or two. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, the, the purpose is to completely take out the results and just, um, you know, give you a measurement just of pitch quality, so pitch shape and and velocity. So, uh, really interesting stuff. I mean, I was listening to a podcast uh, that you know Sarah's did recently, actually on Baseball HQ, where he really went into the nuances of it. And uh, you know, it's obviously he'll admit it; it's not perfect, but I, I think it's a, a pretty pretty good tool that now you know is readily available on FanGraphs, and I think that's why you've seen more people um, really gravitating towards it. Uh, so just interesting stuff. There's always, you know, I wonder like where we're headed next, you know, with the, uh, 
with analytics and, you know, better understanding, um, you know, player evaluation. I mean, any thoughts on that? Like where, where do you see us headed? It's, it's almost like, I don't know. It almost becomes too much, but just wondering what your thoughts are. What are what what's the next stat that yeah, hasn't been created? Yeah. What 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 else is left? What else yeah. can I put into my next edition of Projecting X? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I still want to know what pitchers are doing to avoid hard contact. There are guys. It doesn't show up in their batted ball profile in terms of ground ball, fly ball. Uh, pop-up rate, but there are guys clearly uh, Clayton Kershaw, definitely one of them who for their entire careers, they've always posted low bad bit marks. And it's really hard to pinpoint exactly why, because you can't look at their pitches. You can't look at their batted ball profile. It can't just be the Dodgers defense for his entire career over 15 years. I mean, he owns a career 271 Babip, his batted ball profile is essentially the same as league average. So what is Kershaw doing to suppress hits on balls and play? I've yet to really see anybody come up with research that can cover all pitchers rather than just a deep dive into one pitcher where they're looking at, oh, he's really good at throwing to the corners or like the edges or something. And I need more than that and more than just one player. Yeah, that that is one of one of the great mysteries left is uh, what accounts uh, for that. But interestingly, Clayton Kershaw has a 375 BABIP this season. So, um, you know, he he's he's actually better than his surface stats indicate, even though those are fantastic. Uh, so uh, but anyway, Mike, I know you got to get out of here. This was fun. I really appreciate you coming on one of these days, man. We're going to make a trade. I'll announce one it here. One of these days. One of these days. But I um, uh, just want to give you an opportunity to uh, plug your work and tell people where they could find you on Twitter and all that good stuff. Sure. So still writing for the Rotograph section on Fangraphs. It's really incredible going back to see how long I've been writing for Fangraphs for. I think maybe since like 2011, which is yeah. really crazy. And and for those that don't know, it's, it's a, a cool story how I started writing for them. Uh, I was writing for – I started out writing for a, a little blog called the Fantasy Baseball Generals that I somehow came across, sent them an email. I'm like, hey, love your blog. would love to write for you. So it was me and Patrick DiCaprio. Uh, I think maybe a couple of other people started writing. We did a podcast. Um, and then uh, Lenny Melnick and uh, Paul Greco uh, started a website, uh, Fantasy – baseball 911 or fantasy 911 or something i uh, started writing there but it was behind a paywall and i didn't like my stuff behind the paywall even though of course i think i'm worthy enough of being paid um to for people to pay to read my content but i, I wanted more people to read my content not just people that were subscribing to the website so i had reached out to fangraphs because of course everybody wants to write for fangraphs are the premier uh, site that I use every day for statistics and reading their blogs. Uh, I sent an email probably to Eno Saris back in the day. Hey, you know, I, I write for Fantasy 911. I, I want to get out from behind the paywall. Uh, I'd love to write for Fangraphs. Um, you know, do you want me to send you a sample or anything? And he basically said, 
no, it's okay. We know your work. Yes, we'd love to have you write for us. I'm like, oh my God, wow. I'm going to be writing for Fangraphs. And, and this was back in like 2011. So been there ever since, been the longest tenured writer uh, there now that Eno is gone. Uh, there might be one other. Th- oh yeah, Jeff Zimmerman. It's it's Jeff Zimmerman and I that have been the longest. Uh, Paul Sporer is getting up there as well. He joined a couple of years later, I think. So yeah, so Rotograph section of Fangraphs. I have never had a, an article on the main Fangraph section uh, because it's all fantasy all the time. And and then uh, I don't really do Twitter much, but if you need to follow me. Uh, super creative at Mike Podhorzer on Twitter. If you if you want to say hello, very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that story. Uh, that that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I got to say, man, you were one of the first people that I I read um, when I really got into fantasy baseball. Um, I probably started playing seriously around 2010, 2011. and uh, yeah, I would always read, and I still do. I read your stuff at Fangraphs. Um, I would, and Eno, uh, obviously as well at that time. Um, and Scott Pianowski at Yahoo. Like, I feel like you guys were the ones who really taught me, uh, when I first got into the game. So, uh, yeah, you, you're a veteran now, man. That's, that's pretty cool. But, uh, what, I mean, what are your, if, if you don't mind sharing, like, what are your goals within the industry? Like, do you, uh, I don't know, just like, where, where do you want to head with this? Uh, sadly, my ambition basically ends where I'm at right now. Um, I've, I've never really been interested in taking on more leagues. I'm only in three, which is probably a low number, uh, compared to most of the industry folk. Um, a number of them have created their own websites. They, they do the, uh, um, the, the patron page. Um, they're super active on Twitter. And for me, uh, as far as I've taken it is publishing the ebook projecting X 2.0 and projecting X the original, which explains how to forecast players. That's still available at projectingx.com. Um, I used to sell my pod projections, but if I no longer do that, then that's done. That's essentially it. I mean, it, it's so time consuming yeah. and with a wife and, and hopefully a kid in the future at some point, it, it and of course a full-time job and, um, I got into crypto. I, I'm embarrassed to admit it over the last year. And that's been super time consuming <laughs> and NFTs and all that crap. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just don't have time to do any more than I currently do, sadly enough. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I, I don't know like how some people do. I can barely keep it together. And I play in just a couple leagues. I, I don't know how people do it, like, you know, multiple leagues and, uh, you know, all this content, podcasts, writing. Um but uh yeah i i hear you but listen you're doing great work uh keep it up uh, again thank you so much for coming on and uh we'd love to have you or yeah i mean i'd love to have you on in the future uh, i'll speak for mike too i'm sure he would uh like to chat so anyway um thank you for anybody for support that you've given us uh with the podcast we're going to end it there for this week next week we will be back hopefully with mike carter Um, But on behalf of him, I'm Chris Torres. Thank you so much for listening to the Fantasy Baseball Beat.